Good morning. It's a great honor to be with you all here this morning. I'm grateful for Tim's invitation to come and preach. And for me, this is a totally new experience. I have never preached in a Presbyterian church before, and hopefully this won't be my last time, but we'll see how the morning goes. It's also a real treat to be here with uh, Lauren Beggert uh, and a friend from Pepperdine, and um, I'm a bit jealous that you actually get to worship with Lauren and Tim. Um, they've been such a, a delight in my, in my own life. Our text this morning, Luke 12, 13 through 21. Someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus said to him, Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? Then Jesus said to them, Watch out. Guard yourself against all kinds of greed. After all, one's life isn't determined by one's possessions, even when someone is very wealthy. Then he told them a parable. A certain rich man's land produced a bountiful crop. He said to himself, what will I do? I have no place to store my harvest. Then he thought, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. That's where I'll store all my grain and goods. I'll say to myself, you have stored up plenty of goods, enough for several years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. But God said to him, fool, tonight you will die. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? This is the way it will be for those who hoard things for themselves and aren't rich toward God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Imagine with me for just a moment that you've recently made a new friend and that this newish friend invites you to come to preach at his church on the second Sunday of Lent, and you accept that gracious invitation. And imagine that instead of recycling a sermon that you've already used, you decide you want to write a new one, which leads you to choosing a passage of Scripture you've never preached on before to a congregation you know very little about. So naturally, you choose Luke 12, 13 through 21, because who doesn't like to preach about greed to a group of strangers, right? I also spent a good part of my week wondering to myself, why in the world were you thinking choosing this text? So let me see if I can explain. I was recently introduced to the poetry of Drew Jackson, who is the founding pastor of Hope East Village in New York. And Drew has written two collections of poetry that are inspired by the Gospel of Luke. And I've been reading a chapter of Luke and his corresponding poems most days. And his poem on this text caught my attention and my imagination, and so I want to share it with you this morning. It's called Ode to the Savings Account. I remember days when I knew nothing of a savings account, our funds only enough to get us to the next paycheck. Praises were on deck when that chase push notification came through. I'm not saying that I've now I've made it, but I can differentiate between a 401k and a Roth IRA. I have noticed that the praises have lessened, rather have been directed elsewhere. So in some ways, we can all blame Drew for what is about to happen this morning. But all kidding aside, I am really honored to be here and excited to preach this text this morning during the season of Lent because I think it invites us to reflect on how we think about the meaning of our lives as people who have follow, chosen to follow Jesus. And for me, the season of Lent is often when I find myself once again asking these kinds of questions. 
receiving ashes and being reminded that I've come from dust and that I will return to dust someday helps reorient myself and reprioritize what I am pursuing in my life. In some ways, our text this morning is a pretty straightforward warning against greed. Jesus' response to the man asking for judgment between his brother on term, in terms of inheritance, the following parable, and the following teaches make it pretty clear. We should not be greedy people. But I want us to consider that when Jesus teaches in parables, the point is not to simply to find the moral of the story and then move on. And I really appreciated Tim's sermon last week. I was able to watch it on YouTube. And I so appreciated his reframing on John 15 from a text of condemnation to one where God is lifting up unproductive branches so that they will produce in the future. It was such a good reminder that sometimes we come to Scripture with this idea that we already know what it has to say because we've been taught previously about it. So this morning I'm going to ask that we don't move too quickly through this passage with the idea that we already know the point. Greed is bad. That we allow ourselves to be open to the Spirit to provoke us and challenge us if she sees fit to do so. Our text opens with a conversation between Jesus and an unnamed man who wants Jesus to intervene in a dispute over an inheritance. Not much more detail is given, though scholars suggest that since the man is willing to come to Jesus, it seems like he must have had a pretty good case. And Jesus responds with a question that ultimately refuses the man's attempt to turn Jesus' authority to his own purposes. Man, who appointed me as judge or referee between you and your brother? The point is not that Jesus doesn't have the authority to be a judge or referee, Rather, Jesus is refusing to be used by the man to grow in his material wealth. Then Jesus speaks to his disciples, and we assume the man who has brought his request before him by warning them against greed. And again, the idea that greed is a sin is not probably that shocking to us. It is one of the seven deadly sins. Greed, generally speaking, isn't an attribute we hold in high regard unless you're Gordon Gekko in the 1987 movie Wall Street who said, greed, for the lack of a better word, is good. How often, though, have we stopped to really think about what is meant by the word greed? I like one definition a scholar offers commenting on this text. Greed is the desire to have more to get one's hands on whatever one can, to acquire without reference to one's own specific needs or the situations of others. What's more, I think the greedy person has become confused about the purpose, and prop, uh, the purpose of life and the proper place of wealth. The greedy person believes that life is defined by what one owns and what one is able to purchase. Jesus' warning against greed serves then as a bridge between his question and the upcoming parable about the rich man who built bigger barns in response to his bountiful crop. And I've heard this parable explained as a warning about becoming rich or even a condemnation against those who are rich. And then when I think of certain billionaires that take up time on my social media feeds, I honestly kind of like that interpretation. The problem with interpreting the text that way, though, is that being rich is relative in our culture. How one might answer the question, are you rich, 
is often dependent upon the question, rich compared to whom? So I don't think this parable can be read as a general condemnation of the rich. Rather, Jesus is telling his listeners, he's telling us, life is more than material wealth. The point is emphasized by the question God asks in the parable. Now who will get the things you have prepared for yourself? It seems that the rich man in the parable doesn't have heirs, and so even the hope that his wealth will benefit those he loves is negated in his death. There is this temptation to read this entire text through the lens of condemnation and warning, and I think there are good reasons for us to do this. Greed is a major sin in our culture, and it needs to be taken more seriously than we often do. But this morning, I want to suggest that condemnation is only one way of understanding the text, and that a better and maybe more challenging way is to think of it through the lens of abundance, and that this way of reading our text frames it as an invitation to reorient our relationship to money and materials towards God's dream for the world. Or as Jesus puts it toward the end of the parable, one should be rich toward God. Scholar and theologian Walter Brueggemann comments on this passage that both the man wanting part of his brother's inheritance and the rich man in the parable function out of worry and anxiety. That is, they understand the world through the lens of scarcity. There isn't enough in the world, and so life is about winners and losers. It's a zero-sum game. This mindset leads to greed, the desire for more and more, even at the expense of others. So right after I graduated from Pepperdine with a religion degree, I knew a few things. I knew, one, I wanted to get engaged to Christy, who has been my wife now for 16 years. I knew I didn't have any money, and I knew that a religion degree wasn't really opening doors for me in the corporate world. So naturally, I found myself selling cars for a year. First at a Nissan dealership, and then eventually I found my way to a Saturn dealership, rest in peace, and I learned so much about life and myself in that job. Over the years, I've reflected back on my short time in sales, and I've realized how easy it was for me to let my desire for money shape the way I viewed coworkers and customers. I worked on a draw, which meant I was guaranteed a paycheck every month, but my boss expected that I would outsell my draw every month. If you didn't do this, if I didn't do this, then I would likely be fired sooner than later. This arrangement put me in a place of worry and anxiety until I met my draw. But even then, the pressure was to outsell my colleagues and compete for bonuses and become the salesperson of the month. It was at times a really high-stress situation that functioned out of a place of scarcity. On a busy day, I might talk to three or four potential customers, which meant that I had a limited, uh, which means that I had limited opportunities to sell. Even our stock of cars was limited, and there were times that I was competing with another salesperson over who could get their customer to sign first on the dotted line to get that particular car with those particular options. And over time, it became easier and easier for me to see those around me merely as obstacles that I needed to manipulate and overcome in order to get a bigger paycheck. You see, I think in so many ways, 
Our cultural narrative is one of worry and scarcity. We've been taught that resources are limited and the only way to be successful in this world is to accrue as many as possible, as quickly as possible. We've been taught to build bigger and bigger barns in order to secure our future, even if it comes at the expense of others. But the way of Jesus reveals that there is an alternative to the narrative of scarcity. It is one of abundance, a narrative of enough and more than enough, because the world was and is created by God out of an abundance of love. This is why Jesus later in the chapter can say those listening to him, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Brueggemann comments, Jesus invites his disciples to an alternative to greed, namely an abundance that the creator God supplies. He notices that non-human creatures of God, birds and flowers, know and trust in the endless generative abundance of life. Jesus is reminding us this morning of something that we know to be true deep in our beings. The pursuit of more will never satisfy our desire for purpose and meaning. We know this to be true, but it is so easy to get caught up in our culture of scarcity, worry, and the belief that a good life is a consumable one. Jesus is reminding us that the good life is one that is lived in God's kingdom, a world where the narrative of scarcity is replaced by the true narrative of abundance, a world where the neighbor matters because life is more than things. In the parable, Jesus does not condemn the man to die for being wealthy. Rather, the issue is what the man chooses to do with his bountiful crop. He hoards it as if he alone is responsible for the, for the blessing, as if he alone is responsible for the future life. Some scholars have noted that the rich man fails to recognize that given his newly found abundance, his responsibility to the community has just begun. His responsibility to the most vulnerable of society, which according to the Torah are often the widow, the orphan, and the stranger, has just begun. Now it's here in the sermon where the temptation exists for me to turn to practical steps or a formula based on this parable or say something about how we're all supposed to give out of our abundance. But I think that would be a disservice to the parable we are wrestling with this morning. And honestly, I don't know you all well enough to make this kind of turn as tempting as it is for me. Rather, what I hope you hear this morning is an invitation and in this sermon and on the second Sunday of Lent to consider what or who we are being rich toward. Are we living from a mindset of scarcity where anxiety and worry shapes our ethics and the way we view and treat our neighbors and our enemies? Or are we living from the narrative of abundance and that we trust that we do not have to dehumanize each other? We do not have to pursue the next next big thing. We do not have to work ourselves into exhaustion and burnout because the God we worship is the God of an abundant creation. It's my hope and it is my prayer that we will live through the season of Lent, go through Good Friday, and come to Easter Sunday with a better sense of what and who we are being rich toward, and that we will be people who live from the narrative of abundance. And may mercy 
peace, and love be yours in abundance.